Please leave a message after the tone. Hey, Dave, it's uh, Jim O'Kane. You remember the, the Die Hard Minute situation? Well, we're, we're at it again. So if you could do your thing, I'd appreciate it. Thanks. We've been thinking of you And just what you need Oh yeah, yeah Now that the show's underway I guess we can't call it a day Welcome back to another episode of the Bowfinger Minute Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1999 Frank Oz-directed comedy, Bowfinger. One minute of screen time per episode. I'm your host, Dave Palace. And I'm your other host, Sean German. And you might know me from the 1999 superhero comedy ensemble, Mystery Men. And you would know both of us from, uh, from the Movies by Minutes show we did. Groundhog Minute. Minute. Groundhog Minute, covering the movie Groundhog Day, one minute at a time. So, but we're not here to yeah. talk about groundhogs or other small, furry land mammals. Nope, we're here to talk about Bowfinger. We're in the nice, the nice sunny state of California, in the in the Hollywood uh, Valley. Um, and I'll admit, uh, when Jim contacted us not very long ago to record this. Um, I knew of the film, but I never saw it. So, uh, just watched it. So don't worry, Jim. I did, I did my part. I watched the film and I enjoyed it. That's the, the very short review of it. I did enjoy it. I found it very cute, you know, 1999 comedy cute. And I, I'll, I'll say one thing, kind of looking at it now with the situation that we're in, it does feel, it's a fun film about the makeshiftingness of the scrappiness of making a movie which also does feel like sometimes when you're trying to record a podcast and everything's going wrong and you can't get the guests lined up correctly and maybe you're trying to do a special and everything's falling apart around you and you're just trying to piece audio together to make it sound like a coherent thought. And I got a lot of that fun out of this. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a fun film that I hadn't seen for a while and rewatched recently. And it's, um, you know, it's Hollywood loves making movies about... Hollywood and about making movies. So it's, you know, Hollywood's favorite subject itself. But uh, yeah, you know, certainly the, a lot of it applies to any other artistic endeavor. And certainly when you're trying to coordinate other people um, who may or may not be aware of or, you know, involved um, of their own accord. Um, so, yeah, we get to see a lot of the, the merry mix-ups that occur um, trying to pull off something like <laughs> like coordinating, uh, you know, 13 different teams of podcasters for uh, for a movie or, uh, 
you know, coordinating actors and production and everything for a movie. Yeah, I, I really, I couldn't help but, like, at moments when, you know, Steve Martin is standing there and he's ad-libbing a thought to try to kind of whip up people and kind of trick him into doing the next, you know, whatever the next scheme is for the recording uh, the the movie. I just thought, like, that's got to be Jim sending out emails, being like, well, we all just get this done, we record that, and you send it in, you... Yeah, you got yeah. Make sure you get the intro and the outro there, and you do the tag and social. We might just have ourselves a podcast. Might just have ourselves a podcast. Um, yeah, but uh, but uh, uh, when he said, yeah, yeah, oh, you know, it's, it's Steve Martin written and Frank Oz directed. I said, okay, well, you know, can't be, you know, can't be that bad. And it was no, it was I enjoyed it. Um, I did not realize that Frank Oz did more directing. I just always thought, you know, just a little bit of acting, a little bit of uh, voice and puppetry. Um, which I was surprised. I thought there was going to be a puppet. I guess I was a little bit of stereotyping. I thought, oh, thank God's in it. Maybe they'll throw oh, a little puppet. The puppet. Yeah, I was expecting like a like a puppet, like a there'd be like an in-universe puppet that everyone addresses like a real person. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like a, like a Sesame Street situation. But no, no, it was fine. Um, and I, when I was looking up, uh, uh, Frank Oz directed it. I said, so what about Bob? So you got yourself another Bill Murray comedy there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Indian in the Cupboard. That was a nice family film. Uh, score classic classic crime heist film um, in and out in and out nice. uh kevin klein right uh, yeah 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 uh, uh, and actually and this is the uh so a little the imdb trivia this is the fourth collaboration uh between steve martin uh well actually I should say specifically frank oz directing steve martin um so we've got the little shop of horrors oh wow yes good course, call the great uh dirty rotten scoundrels which I had realized, which I love. I think it's, it's a great, uh, great film with Steve Martin and Michael Caine. I didn't realize Frank Oz had directed that. Mm. Um, House Sitter is number three. And then this is the, the fourth instance of, uh, of Frank um, directing Steve. And of course, they would have also worked together on the Muppet movie. But uh, Frank, that, then that goes back to the, the puppets. Frank did not direct that. Uh, yeah, outside yeah, outside of his uh, work with voices with doing Yoda in the Star Wars uh, films, uh, I forgot. Yeah, he had he was the lawyer in Knives Out. Forgot about that. Oh right, yeah, Small, yeah. Not, not a huge role, but he was the one. He was like he's, he's standing there, very annoyed with the family because just like trying to get the, <laughs> all the information out. So I was like, oh yeah, I was like, yeah, what a nice little part for him. That oh, I'm sure the audience, what we're looking at. So a minute two. We have we have Frank. That's why I wanted to say we have Frank Oz here mm-hmm. on the screen. Yeah. So we open with a a Frank Oz film, aka he directed it, which I guess makes it his. And our opening and our opening shot is of you know Steve Martin, and it's it's so fun to get to get the you know get to use old Steve Martin pictures of him from his mm-hmm. SNL days and repurpose them as this this bowfinger actor uh, coming up through the through the days. Yeah, we 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 jump right in, kind of setting. Setting the scene, setting the stage. Uh, we get a couple. We well, we get like a um, like a, a poster for a play. Uh, Once upon a mattress, put on by the Glendale Tent Players, and we see this Steve Martin. Um, I guess, I guess playing the mattress, no, I'm <laughs> uh, <laughs> playing the lead role. You know, he's got his face on the on the poster there. Um, and then, kind of, the camera pulls back, and we see some other things. We see a a um, cinema log. Magazine cover with um, with commercial director Robert K. Bowfinger, uh, but we may recognize him as Steve Martin. And then the the actor's headshot, juvenile actor. Which <laughs> so the headshot it says juvenile actor Bobby Bowfinger, mm. and it's Steve Martin who looks 
Um, well, so we know he must be younger because he's got dark hair. His hair isn't white yet, but <laughs> he looks like a full-grown adult. Yes. Um, he does not look like a child actor or a juvenile actor. Yeah, Steve Martin always looked like, I mean, he's got a joke later in the film about being 49, but it's like he pretty much stayed at 49 and he's finally looking like an old man, a funny old man in, in Murders in the Building, which is, I'm so glad that he's, mm -hmm. I'm so glad we like like new fans are getting like a shot at him and Steve uh, at Martin Short. Yeah. Like just seeing their comedy. There's probably a lot of young kids. Like, oh, I'll watch it because of uh, Selena Gomez. And then they get to see these like two comedy legends from, you know, the 70s and 80s that get to, uh, Get in eighties and nineties to be just like nice goofballs, old old men goofballs that aren't like, ugh, these guys. So I'm I'm so glad we get to, but yeah, it's so funny how he just kind of like he hit late forties with that hair and that look and just stayed like that his entire career. Yeah, he's he's yeah he's looked about you know he's looked like he's been in his forties since he was in his twenties. <laughs> um, so so now he's what probably in his eighties and. Looks like he's maybe in his 50s, but yeah, yeah. just because he's looked old for so long. How old is he? 77. God bless yeah. him. Looks good for 77. And they Still just, they strong. just, I think, yeah, like, I mean, um, just a few weeks ago, they already started putting the promo images of them on set with Paul Rudd for, um, season three. for yeah, for Murders Season 3. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping by the, yeah, this summer we get to see that another, uh, another season. And so this is, um, so the, the next credit we see on screen is is for Steve Martin as actor, but this is also written by uh, Steve Martin. So speaking of like places where you might not expect people, you know, so like, yeah, I think of Frank Oz as, you know, the, the puppet guy from the Muppets. But yeah, he's also done some directing and, and Steve Martin as, uh, you know, comedian, stand up actor, um, also done a fair bit of writing. So wrote wrote this. And I would also recommend uh, he's got a great memoir, Born Standing Up. Uh, that Steve Martin wrote uh, talking about his like early, his introduction into show business, talking about his days working. He kind of, his, his entry was working at the the magic shop at Disneyland in Southern California. And part of the job was to do the, to have like little kind of off the shelf tricks you could buy. And he would be out amongst the people doing the trick to kind of entice people um, to then buy, you know, buy the trick. But that was sort of his, you know, he talks about, you know, early days in show business and then, from the magic store and getting into uh, getting into stand up and comedy and, and writing and other stuff, um, really a, a you know a, an amazing guy. I mean, just a a great great comedy has made the turn as as many actors do as they age. I mean, he makes the turn from comedy to drama, um, which I think he does great at, and the writing is great. And then also great banjo player, um, yeah. which was part of his act back in the day, but like as a serious. You know, a serious musicians. I've got a couple CDs that he made with Edie Brickell. Um, really good stuff. So if you're a, if you're a fan of like old timey bluegrass type music, I would also suggest folks check that out. So yeah. um, I think one of my first times experience with his writing might have been in college. We did a play that was written by him called Picasso at Lapine Agile. Mm. It's an introspective but also comedy uh, play. Uh, the nimble rab is what uh, the, the the French term for La Pina Gile is, but it's essentially it's a bar in 1904. Long story short, it's essentially about Albert Einstein, Pablo Picasso, a few bar patrons, and essentially later uh, Elvis are in a bar, and it's about like about like kind of like creativity, uh, doing something for that could become timeless. I don't remember all the details. I remember I played. I played Gaston, who's essentially just an old Frenchman who just like 
is a is a barfly and just complains all the time. But it was so fun to kind of watch the actors playing Picasso and and and, and, and Elvis and Einstein. And Elvis. Well, it's like it's never said it's Elvis, but it's like the visitor, a polite and talented country boy who's time traveled from another dimension. He is, uh, yeah, he is a blue, you know, he is dressed as a blue sh- blue suede shoed musician. So it's like never oh. o- openly said, but you're like, yeah, one look and you see the guy and go, oh yeah, this is Elvis. We can connect the dots. So yeah, yeah. that sounds like a, a great setup for a joke. Pablo Picasso, Albert Einstein, and Elvis Presley walk into a bar. So <laughs> that's that w- a that's quite a setup. At, well, yeah, that was my uh, first uh, probably talk of this writing. I go, oh, I, oh, Steve Martin. Oh, I didn't know you write. So that was that was me, like kind of going into that into that play. And I also want to talk about the song. Never heard it before, but I love it. Uh, Johnny Adams. There's always one more time. Really mm-hmm. beautifully sets the stage because you see these old photos of this actor, and they're they're and they're well shot. Like commercial director Robert Bover, will he cast you? So this this cinema log. Uh, you know, uh, magazine is saying that at that time, getting casted in a, in a Bowfinger production was was serious business. Yeah, yeah. I thought I I hadn't heard the song before, and you know, previously watching the movie, hadn't really dug into the soundtrack or or, or looked into it. But uh, yeah, I thought it was a, a really good, uh, an interesting song, and a good way to start the film. So it's as you said, it's is there is always one more time sung by Johnny Adams written by uh, Doc Pomus, which I thought was interesting. Like, I wasn't familiar with the name. I mean, I have a feeling many of the listeners aren't as well, but you're probably li- familiar with some of the songs he wrote or co-wrote. So um, Doc Pomus wrote this, of course, but also A Teenager in Love, Save the Last Dance for Me, This Magic Moment, Viva Las Vegas, uh, Surrender, Suspicion. Yeah, actually, you mentioned he, he wrote... Um, a few songs that turned into hits for Elvis. Um, everything's connected. You, you mentioned Elvis previously. Mm. Uh, he's in, uh, so, so Pomus is in the, the rock and roll hall of fame and the songwriters hall of fame. And in, in the, the rock and roll hall of fame as like a non, non performer. So in for his songwriting, uh, but wrote, yeah, wrote a lot of, a lot of hit songs for other singers. And then um, yeah, John, Johnny Adams was not one of those that had a lot of big hits. But um, kind of was in that group. But there were a lot of um, a lot of singers in the '50s and '60s that crossed over that start off as as gospel singers, and then crossed over to do soul and you know, soul and blues and mm-hmm. and more mainstream stuff. Uh, never you know never really broke through. Never had a, a huge hit. Um, but uh, but yeah, this is a good song. And I looked up the lyrics, and I thought they're they're appropriate for what you're saying about you know what we see from these you know, what we can take from like this magazine cover and these posters of, of you know, with, with Bowfinger. So the little bit of the song that we hear this minute, if your whole life somehow wasn't much till now and you've almost lost your will to live, now, no matter what you've been through, as long as there's breath in you, there's always one more time. So it's, you know, that that spirit of of never giving up, you know, as long as you're as long as you're in the game, you're, you're still in it. And there's always a chance for... um you know that that big hit, that big breakthrough could just be around the corner. Everybody loves a comeback story. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves when someone who is a good person, they don't abuse people, they don't, you know, they don't become ridiculed, they don't hurt others, you know, verbally or physically. When you hear like this person was a good actor or a good worker and they made some great films and we haven't heard from them in a while and they kind of got they got put on the heel of life, 
and the comeback. Like, I, I was, I want to say it. Like, I think I'm so happy that we are getting Brandon Fraser in the news again. You know, had nothing but a good thing to talk about him. You didn't see him for so long. Starts coming yeah. back. You know, Doom Patrol. Oh, he's cool. He's doing, he's doing some small, like, little movies in here. Like, oh, good here. And now they're like, oh, The Whale. It's getting, you know, Oscar, you know, some Oscar buzz. You know, Brendan Fraser's on the up. And I'm like, this is so great to hear that, you know, he went from, like, he said he was a, a hurt older guy. He had back problems. He was kind of, like, broke because like, his divorce really hurt him. And you're like, man, those those mummy films, like, all those little fun, goofy films he did in the 90s. And it's so great to, like, see an, a legit good actor who is a good person uh, get that one more time. And we get to we get to see we get to see Brendan Bre- Brendan back in the news. Yeah, that's yeah, that's nice. And and um, you know we don't need to delve too much into the you know this isn't Brendan Fraser minute, but yeah, he had it some, could some be though. Times. You know, it really I don't know why Jim hasn't made it. I'm just gonna say that Jim could easily do that, Ish. and we would jump on it. But anyway, yeah, next next project, absolutely. Let's you know next group project. Let's get Brendan Fraser and Paul. But um, well, I think it's also important to keep in mind that you know as we go. F- forward in the movie in future minutes that like this this Bowfinger character is maybe not is the real deal but like was the real deal like at times he seems like you know kind of part huckster part scammer maybe naive like you know in terms of like you know every every movie in Hollywood costs ten thousand dollars whatever you know Hollywood accounting like sometimes he seems like he doesn't know what he's talking about but like this minute kind of sets the stage that like he has been in show business for a while and Maybe not, you know, you know, maybe not the biggest of stars, but had some acclaim and some renown. And maybe he's down on his luck, you know, at this part of his career, he's like in a, you know, a low part. But that doesn't mean, you know, that knowledge, that experience, those skills are still there. Um, so like we see, you know, all the craziness it goes through, but it, it all, he manages, he pulls it together. It all comes, uh, you know, it all comes through at the end. And you see like the craziness of the process. And it's like, wow, how did this, you know, how did he manage to pull it off through all the, you know, the hijinks and shenanigans and everything else? Well, let's come back to, you know, old minute two, where it's like, no, this guy is, he's been in show business for a while. And he, you know, maybe his, maybe his style is, uh, you know, unorthodox, but he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Cause we, we never see any evidence of like him failing something. And that's why he's in this position. It just seems that like, Time passed him by. He got older, and everything in the studio wanted the hot, newer thing. And all you know, it's like it's 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 kind of something out of his control. Uh, this is the only reason. Mm-hmm. And when you have you know, we're gonna later in the minutes when when we get to the the younger producer who's got a lot of money, but doesn't seem like has like a real love for the game, which is Robert Downey Jr.'s character. Small role for him, but like I'm trying to think, this must be. Soon after, I would say, I don't know, it's right right after maybe his, like, release from, like, the drug rehab days. Because I'm because I'm trying to think. It's, uh, 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 Iron Man's not until 2006. Kiss Kiss Bang yeah. Bang's, I think, like, 2005, 2004. So this is, like, he must come back and just have very small roles. So he's essentially, he's essentially playing an older version of a character he would have played in the 80s. This, like, not caring, I am, you know, I'm wealthy, I, I'm, I'm apathetic to everything. And you show him as a producer, like he's yeah. got money, but he has no love for the game. Whereas uh, we see Bowfinger wants money, sure, who doesn't? But he has a real, uh, he has real heart in it. And though he is, you know, he's trimming the truth when he's talking to people, and he's not telling the whole thing. Um, no one ever gets mad at him, you know, when they realize what he's doing. Because they're going, no, this is actually still a really good yeah. production. 
and I still want to be on. I still want to be here. You know, like like there's never a scene with Jamie Kennedy's character. You think Jamie Kennedy would have had a real scene, but like no, like Jamie Kennedy still yeah. like believes in them. He's like, eh, it's a little shady what we're doing. You know, we should grow conscious at times, but it's like this 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 project is worth making. Like we're not doing it to yeah. hurt anyone. No, that's I I get the feeling like this isn't as much as an exception as Hollywood would like us to think. I'm sure a lot of directors would like us to think that, you know, their productions, everything's planned out and, you know, they're they're all Hitchcock. They've got every scene, every camera angle, everything planned out. So the filming is just, you know, the cranking the, you know, turning the cranks and going through the motions of, of turning that vision into reality where I get, I, yeah. I kind of get a feeling that a lot of the productions are more like, <laughs> More like what we see in this film than maybe Hollywood wants to admit in terms of the improv improvisation and they're just kind of making it up as as they go along. And then, you know, you, you start off with a vision, but then yeah. things change and you have to adjust. And then you just, you know, the show must go on and what you end up with, um, you know, it may be really good, but it doesn't match what you thought it would be in the beginning. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in terms of this... Um, yeah, this crew. I mean, this you could, you could almost think of this as like a heist film, and mm -hmm. starting off. Um, well, I guess really starting off the next minute is when we kind of see Bowfinger start putting the crew together for the heist, and then they, you know, I I, I know no no was you you just you freaking inspired me to think about this um, when you said that that there's probably like real people out there that don't get the press that are working hard to make something. And I was like, and, I, and once again, I know Jim doesn't want us to like. You know, keep it timeless. But for serious, right now in the news, you know, Francis Ford Coppola is putting his own money to try and make this Megalopolis movie. And anytime it's in the press, it's always painted in a bad light. Like everything's against him. And I'm like, and it's like, not, like it, it hurts nothing for the papers to say, like, he's got some trouble, but I'm hoping everything comes through. They're always like, is this project going to, you know, it's all the like the doom and gloom as if his entire project's going to fall apart again. And I'm glad that he kind of like responded and said, like, just you wait and see. I'm I'm very hopeful that that Francis Ford Coppola in this movie that he's working with all his big, big actors and big sets it works. I really wanted to because that's kind of another comeback story. We haven't seen Francis Ford Coppola do anything. He's been kind of quietly doing his wine business. So putting his own money in, trying to make this big movie. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping he does have that one more time in him that he can, you know, make a, a new, a new, a new blockbuster. Yeah. And I'd like to see that. Certainly there is a place for the smaller film, the quiet film, the independent films, but it's also something that Hollywood does really well. Um, you know, the, the big over the top uh, spectacle. And so, yeah, yeah. So we'll see what, what comes of that. If, if old, uh, yeah. If Francis is able to pull it off again. It's like, I want a spectacle movie, don't get me wrong, but I'll admit, like, you know, I don't talk about it a lot on Facebook, but I'm getting a little, I am getting a little tired of, like, it's 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 a big blockbuster because it's an IP that you're supposed to recognize, you know? Mm -hmm. I'd rather like seeing a big spectacle movie because, wow, what a premise. There's two guys, they robbed a bank and they're in an ambulance and we're going through LA and there's explosions. I'm in. It's not like, oh, the character, the obscure character from the comic book and from that thing. I have to see because there's a cameo by the famous actor playing a character, you know? Yeah. I'm tired of it. I'm like, I am excited to like see a film because 
it, I, that, that two-minute trailer pitched me rather than being like, well, you saw the previous films of the IP. Now the new IP. Please consume IP, please, in theaters now. Right. There's more to it than it's it's bigger for other reasons than just, well, we, we threw a lot of computers at it. So there's a yeah. lot of explosions and effects and everything, but uh, sort of big on a human scale. <laughs> like I can tell you, man, I, I I I was so happy to watch Plane. I know, I know. Once again, I'm dating the <laughs> I'm dating our recording, but just Gerald Butler and uh, you know, in a, in a plane, and it was action packed, and it just it felt like a great '90s movie. And I was like, it's a perfect Saturday matinee type film. And I was so happy to see. So, um, all right, that that was my rant. I just I just. <laughs> Like just talking about like you know having those like those chances of like a good seeing a good movie and not having to be feel like you're dragged to the theater like you want to go to the theater um, yeah. is what excited me. All right, I don't own a dog. You own a dog. Can you get your dog to actually do? Can can you just train a dog to do that? To just lie up, like lie down on the couch, purposely have their legs spread and just stay still because that's amazing. That's an amazing trick. Yeah, apparently. Um... Uh, yeah, I haven't done it, but apparently it can be done because because uh, they they did it here with the dog. Yeah, and I I didn't know about that. I was going to say that that also tells us. So we saw the, um, you know, we saw the poster. We saw like the magazine cover to tell us a little bit about this Bowfinger character. Um, and just having having a dog, I got my first dog a little over two years ago. But being a dog owner, I know like this tells us um, for a dog to be on its you know be on its back, exposing its belly, sleeping like that. That's a happy dog. That's a content dog. That's a dog that feels safe. You know, it's able to make itself vulnerable. If it felt threatened or uneasy in any way, it would, you know, it would curl up. It would be protecting itself. Um, so I'm thinking like this guy, just kind of going back to like the on the first view, like not knowing anything about the film yet. If, if I'm first viewing this, I'm going to think, this guy can't be all bad. Like at least his dog trusts him and his dog is comfortable enough. To, to make itself, um, you know, vulnerable like that. So, um, and it's a, a cute puppy. Um, it is. No, I'm, I see. I'm glad I asked you because I was curious about that, like dog behavior. And the, I did not know that. So the fact that, the, yeah, the dog exposed its belly like that, that's great. It's kind of like, it's like the, it's like an equivalent of like, you know, the rescue the dog, save the cat type of thing. Yeah. You show a dog very comfortable somewhere. You go, okay, this is a safe place. You know, this guy is a good guy. He's not. He's not abusive to the dog. Doesn't yell. Doesn't raise his voice. He's a. Right. He's a good. He's a good. He's he a good dog. A good guy. Um, yeah, yeah. Another little bit of going back to the IMDb trivia, and I think maybe I guess maybe calls into question over can you train a dog to do this? Apparently, this is a little bit of improv. The uh, the dog on uh, on her back with her legs spread open like that is not in the script. Was a little bit of improv on the uh, on the part of I think it's Betsy is the um the actor name the the you know the, the dog actor's name is betsy so no no the yeah. act the actor's name was mindy playing the dog betsy oh mindy got okay. backwards it's uh, mindy playing betsy quote bowfinger's dog thank you okay yeah sorry but oh uh, yeah good yeah. yeah but good dog dog <laughs> wrangler to, to yeah but yeah so at least according yeah according to the imdb trivia this is this was unscripted the dog just felt you know well i've got a you know Probably thinking, yeah, the same thing I'm thinking, you know, I've got to, you know, I want to communicate that I trust my master, that uh, I like this guy, he's a good guy, so, uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just let it all hang out. <laughs> so. And now that we're, you know, now we're starting to pull the camera back, this, like, Adobe 
like LA, like you don't see these in the East Coast. So like we're not, you and I yeah. are probably not familiar with like living in these houses. Right. Um, but you always see these like uh, like in the old section of LA. These like yeah, like they were built mm-hmm. in the 50s and 60s. These adobe based, you know, very very brown and and sandy stone houses filled with so much memorabilia. But you could like you could see the nice water damage and cracks in the corner. So you know like. This is kind of this is an old house. This is not a perfect. This is not a high end, you know, Beverly Hills estate. Right. This is um, yeah. This is a little bit of old Hollywood that maybe has seen better days. The fact that he has those director chairs kind of ready gives you this impression that like this is also a studio as well. This is not just a house. Mm-hmm. Like this is like he does work. He lives. He does everything here. And we are. We'll be spending a lot of time in the in this movie, in in the Bowfinger. Uh, Productions residence, <laughs> the uh, the Bowfinger Estate. Yeah, yeah. Well, then we should mention um, before we get to the title, Bowfinger. We've mm-hmm. got three credits. So we talked about Frank Oz. We talked about yes. Steve Martin. Um, then the third credit, the third name that pops up is Eddie Murphy. Um, and this kind of goes back to you. You're talking about Robert Downey Jr. and kind of the ups and downs of his career. This came at a time. Um, the, the 90s were not kind to Eddie Murphy, or I'll say Eddie Murphy was not kind to films in the 90s. I think that was kind of a, I'll go ahead and say it, I think it was kind of a little, a low point in his career. And you got a lot of, it was a lot of sequels like Beverly Hills Cop 3 oh, and another 48 hard Hours. To watch. Yeah, I, yeah, I was just, and two, I think two is pretty good. A, a, a few years ago, I went no, back and kind of rewatched is, oh. all of them. Two Tony then, Scott yeah. was like, let's kick it up for two. Like, yeah, no, yeah. one and two are great. They're great. But God, three is like, let's, like, it, it did everything that 90s. I, I, looking back, so many 90s stuff was like, let's just shoot at the amusement park. And that will like, that's yeah. the setting is what if XYZ at an amusement park? Like, God, I must watch like so many three ninjas kids, like three ninjas High noon at Mega Mountain with Hulk Hogan. Like that whole oh. movie is just like, what if terrorists took over an amusement park and the three ninjas and Hulk Hogan, who is a, he's a wrestler, some other named wrestler, uh, gotta stop him, you know? Yeah. God, I got so many of those I watched as a kid. And did you see Metro? I was talking about, I don't know if I was talking to you or someone or maybe Rick about Metro. That movie is weird. I think I had, I had to have Rick throw, or maybe you, one of you guys throw it on Plex for me. Yeah, no, oh my I, I have not dude. seen Metro. That movie makes no sense. Like, it's it goes from, like, Eddie Murphy wants to do some comedy stuff, and then it has, like, R-rated uh, action that's a little too far. Like, it's like, the action is, like, just a tad too violent that you feel like, well, then this should just be like a hard R-rated action cop film, and I would accept it. And then it's like the next scene is like Eddie Murphy making Eddie Murphy jokes. And you're like, doesn't like he we just watched him like throw a throw a bad guy who almost killed and like raped his girlfriend. We saw him throw that guy in front of a car, but he's a cop. You're like, cop shouldn't do that. Like in a movie, like it should be like a self-defense kill. Not like, oh, here's a car coming. I'll throw him in front of it. You're like, that doesn't look good. Like in the movie's like. And now the next scene, he takes his girlfriend out for dinner in a nice restaurant, and he makes fun of how fancy the restaurant is. You're like, "What is this? What are we doing?" Yeah. So that's so that's like his 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 take into like doing cop action movies. You know, it's like San Francisco. It's it's very messy. Yeah, he does, and then he does family stuff. He does yeah, Mulan, the animated movie, 
Dr. Doolittle and Nutty Professor. So he kind of like he he drops doing adult stuff around that time and uh, and starts doing yeah, starts doing family business. Which is good. I mean, he's the Nutty Professor, Dr. Doolittle, Mulan, they're fine. They're great. They're great like family films that you can watch with with your kids. Yeah. But he kind of like he just kind of gave up on doing like rated R stuff or I should say like serious rated R stuff. Now it's kind of like is Bowfinger considered a rated R cuz I'm trying to think. Is that if it's rated R comedy, I feel like it's a very light rated R comedy. Yeah, cuz it's not I'm trying to think if there's like language cuz there's if there's no nudity. It's a PG-13. No. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, um, that's fine. It's a fine PG-13 comedy. Yeah. Language and like uh, some suggested situations, but yeah, we don't see any any sex or there's no gore, you know, bloody yeah. violence. So, yeah, PG-13. Because really, he right. kind of stays in it. Like, I don't I, ne- I don't remember the movie Life. Let me look at Life again. I think I might have seen clips of that. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a 19, it's a, it looks like it was a, yeah, 1950s. I don't, it, yeah, it's about, it's him. Uh, yes, uh, Martin Lawrence. Martin Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, and Bernie Mac. I remember that. Yeah, it's a, it's a prison movie, but I don't know if it's a comedy or a serious movie. So it might go. It's like it might be like I don't really know. It could be the fact it's got Anthony Anderson in it as well. I, I'm, I'm leaning toward this might have been a comedy. Might have been a comedy. Like, what if these guys? Oh, Bokeem Woodbine's in a good and Ned. So you have yeah you, you got a good cast here. No Emmerich. <laughs> Rick James is in it. Um, so it might yeah it might have been a black comedy. Yeah, uh, I feel like but, this kind of yeah. So he goes through where he's like kind of straddling. He's doing the. The kid stuff, he's doing the Nutty Professor stuff and, and yeah. uh, you know, Shrek right the, this. And, and John Shrek. Shrek. But then, yeah, trying to do the more adult stuff. And I think this is a really good, well, plus, it, well, playing two parts um, and two such different parts, playing the the um, the two brothers is, a, um, you know, is fun. But, yeah, I feel like this is really like, this is where Eddie Murphy should be at this point in his career. And later on, he's doing the... Um, what was it not Showgirls? Uh, you talking Showtime? Because I'm looking at that trailer for it right now. PG-13 yeah. spoof of a buddy cop film with him and Robert De Niro. No, Dreamgirls. Very... That's what I was thinking of. Oh, oh, you're, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're talking about like serious stuff. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was so like, he... what's the what, what's the next like comedy that he kind of does that like is a little bit edgier? Yeah. And it's like it looks like this is them trying to be like, can we do can we do Bowfinger as a cop movie? Like that's what it looks like to me yeah. from my end. No. Anyway, I'm he, sorry. He, go back he to, does go, back go to... on to do some more serious, you know. And um, so, Dreamgirls was yeah. the one I was trying to think of, and then Dolomite is my name. It's another good turn. But in terms of like comedy and just kind of, um, well, just a, in a terms comedy, of comedy, like this is adult. this is good. This is two good parts that he plays really well. Um, you know, so this is like this is kind of what from my this is what I want to see from my 1999 Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of like this. Um, I think the cast up and down of this film and, and, you know, writer, director, all the people involved, like you just get um, all the right people at the right stage of their career doing the right part that it really comes together. Yeah. Really, really well. I will, I will say, I will say, I don't think anyone's going to talk about this in the entire podcast. So I will bring it up now. Mm-hmm. I will say the, the one thing that he did that I thought was absolutely hilarious was the PJs and <laughs> My dad loved the PJ so much because my dad grew up like 
poor in Camden and he worked in Camden. So he went to a lot of the housing. He had to like get work through like the housing developments and stuff in Camden. So he's like seeing this like animated version of like uh, superintendents and trying to like get stuff done and like and just like people in these projects like not giving the superintendent the time of day trying to fix the building up. My dad's like, I have been in real life situations like this, like trying to like. I'm called in to do a job and everything's going wrong. He's like, and then watch like Eddie Murphy work these animated stories of it. He's just, he's like, he, he clearly, he's like, he got, he got like stuff that actually happened. Like he clearly got like people who were, must've been there like in these projects uh, for it. So, so I just remember that was just so funny. Incredibly rude, incredibly rude comedy, but you know what? Like, I, if they if they put the PJs, I think right next to Family Guy, I don't think anyone would even know these days. I just feel like they're both like good, like good old fashioned raunchy comedies. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, all right, so so yeah, so that's what we're looking at with with uh, Eddie Murphy's our, our, the career right around that late going late nineties into the early two thousands. He's getting more money right now from doing family stuff than he is doing like adult centered comedy. Because mm-hmm. I really think like watching this movie. After me as a guy who's gotten into like not just watching movies but like reading about how movies are made, this movie's a lot funnier. I don't know if it would work for every audience member who like just kind of like knows a little bit how movies are made, but I feel like when you always like you read like Hollywood Reporter and Variety and stuff, and they're always like talking about this and this and that and the trade magazines and and blogs. This movie I thought was this movie this Bowfinger I think is legit legit funny for that. So it's another hey, it's another 1999 gem film, you know. What do you know? Yeah, it turns out, yeah, it turns out that was a good year in cinema. <laughs> I I've known it, baby. I've known it. You're just finding out. I've yeah. known it. Dave's already been there. Once we figure out how to make uh, Phantom Menace like a hundred percent the entire way through, then baby, we're cooking. <laughs> Once we figure that out, we get that. <laughs> as we're as we're finishing our minute, we get the title, and we actually get the. It's in the background, and he's he's out of focus, but we do get to meet our our main character, yeah. Bowfinger, our titular Bowfinger. Um, and what is he doing? Well, you just have to come back for a minute three to find out. Oh, hold on, I gotta listen to the audio one more second. I, I muted this part. Yes, okay, good. The phone was ringing. I'm very. I was like, I was like, do we can we tease them with for next time with the with oh. the phone? The phone's ringing. Who could it be? Is it the is it big Mister Money? Is it from Monopoly? Is it, is it Daddy Warbucks to give him a big fat check to make a new movie? We'll have to find out. Yeah. We kind of ended, ended on a cliffhanger with a ringing, a ringing phone. The movie just started as cliffhangers. My God. So, yeah, that's that's all my notes for a minute, too. I don't know. Do you have anything else? No, I, I don't. I just, you know what? For being what it is that Jim Colvin said last second to do just this minute. Um, and, you know, God bless the future coming uh, podcast host. I probably have more written down notes. I did enjoy this film. As I said, I, I I was kind of like, I woke up and said, all right, let me, you know, give Jim the time of day. I'll watch this film. And I said, you know what? I'm enjoying it. I did. I did legit have some chuckles in there. Um, So I was like, yeah, this movie did its job. Yeah. This, this is a really good film and it kind of snuck up on me where I, I had seen it. Uh, I don't think I saw it in the, the, the theater, but probably pretty soon after, as soon as it came to home video and, and I liked it and I remember liking it. I remember being good. And then, one of the cable movie channels had it on rotation a couple months ago. I think even before um, before this project was announced. And I, I just, you know, was flipping through one day and happened to see it was on. So I'm like, yeah, let me give, give this a watch. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is a lot better. 
then I, you know, I remember it being okay, but this is like, this is more than okay. This is really good. Um, again, I think it really, you, you hit, you know, just, you get a, a lot of the people involved are at just the right points in their career, um, that it all comes together in a, in a really cool way. And that's kind of like a meta commentary on the film itself, showing mm-hmm. how the people come together to, to make a film, um, that, you know, maybe turns out better than, than it should be or better than, you know, even the people involved expected it. So, uh, yeah, this is, this is a lot of fun, a great, you know, some other podcasters losses our gain, uh, able to, to sneak in and get a little involvement here right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, look forward to uh, the rest of the film and the, the rest of the minutes and all the other hosts that'll, that'll be joining us. So um, we want to give we want to give the uh, the correct uh, address where you can go to. So you can find the Bowfinger Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and at the main site that Jim put together, bowfingerminute.com. And we ask uh, for Jim's sanity if you can please like and subscribe and give the show an honest review on Apple Podcasts and say which episode you know specifically. This is Minute Two, in case you need to know what minute really sold you on the podcast like what host did it just name drop and you can put their podcast in as well if you could appreciate yeah. that uh then you can go to the um we've created the social media group the welcome to mindhead We're, man they haven't we haven't even talked about mindhead yet man the hosts ahead of us are gonna have a lot of fun with mindhead my goodness <laughs> oh yeah yeah i wanted to talk about it. i was like no let them have their fun but welcome to mindhead the bowfinger minute listener center that'll be on facebook and the twitter will be at bowfinger minute so we want to make sure, yeah, the, uh, uh, I'm going to say, I'll say it here. I know they said Friday's episode, but I'll say that the, the, the music that I'll be using is from Mr. Math. Uh, that is available on Spotify. That's our, our uh, intro song singer. And in closing, we ask you, the listeners, in the meantime, to keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together, children. Again, cause there's always one more show.